The Sin is Not podcast is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. Now, Cody, you and I are both big fans of the uh, products of Mondo, which uh, does posters, pint glasses, toys, other things like that, LPs, right? We went to MondoCon last year. Your, uh, your walls are covered in the posters. Mine are, too. Yes, they are. MondoCon was a great time. MondoCon was a great time. And uh, I was just at a gallery opening uh, on Friday night for Inforama, and I bought a bunch of posters that I don't have room for. Uh, anyway, coming up at Alamo Drafthouse for the release of the third Star Trek film, Star Trek Beyond, you can get a pint glass designed by Mondo featuring the Enterprise uh, exclusive only to Alamo Draft House. These pint glasses, I love these pint glasses. I think I have every one of them they released in the last two years. See, I haven't, I haven't made that plunge yet into the pint glass world. It's so, it's so cool, but it's so like I'm just going to run out of room buying all this cool stuff from from Mondo and from Draft House. Um, anyway, you can get a. Uh, it's a Star Trek Beyond pint glass with the Enterprise featuring Mondo-designed artwork by Chris Skinner. They're also offering an uh, exclusive limited edition, full-color edition of the Birth Movies Death magazine featuring um, – well, it's dedicated to the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, which is – normally I don't pick up the magazines just because I prefer the pint glasses. But this might be something that I pick up because I've been – a a Star Trek fan since I remember the 25th anniversary of Star Trek. That's really strange to me that now we're on the 50th. It makes me feel really, really anciently old. Um, but you can get that at any of the Alamo draft house theaters in San Antonio. You just go to drafthouse.com, Click on, go to drafthouse.com slash Star Trek slash San Antonio. You can select your admission with the magazine admission with the glass or admission with the glass and magazine. Showing uh, screenings of the film start on Thursday, July 20, excuse me, Thursday, July 21st. That's at Park North, Stone Oak, and Westlakes. 7, 7 p.m. is when uh, movies open now. It's weird, right, that uh, all of a sudden Thursday night became the opening night? Yeah, but I think it's nice. I mean, it's it's a nice thing, I think, because, you know, it's a little cumbersome to go at midnight I remember, on a Thursday. Yeah, I remember the midnight screenings back in the day. But Thursday, Thursday night is the new Friday. You know, I've only been to, as I recall, two midnight screenings. Actually, one that I, that I know for sure was midnight, and it was Toy Story 3. Really? I went to uh, – the first yeah. midnight screening I went to was um, Jurassic Park. Um, I, I want to say that I saw Kick-Ass at either 10 p.m. or midnight as well, the first Kick-Ass. The, uh, actually, now that I think about it, the first like preview screening I went to, and I don't, I don't know why, but it was a Thursday night screening of uh, the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie in 1990. And wow. I was the coolest motherfucker in fifth grade the next day, let me tell you, because I had already seen that movie. Um. But anyway, you can uh, get these uh, exclusive Alamo Drafthouse uh, Mondo Birth Movies Death uh, items online. Uh, they will sell out, so be sure to get yours before you go see the show. And then you can have your beer in the glass, I think. I don't, I, I've never actually done it. Well, I think you might have to pour your own beer into the glass. But they are really great pint glasses. Yeah, you don't want to sully your perfect glass with beer. I have... Do you use your glasses or do you keep them displayed like a nerd? What do you think? <laughs> I think that you've never used those glasses. <laughs> They're on my mantle. Um, I have, I do have the um, 
the Jurassic World. I have uh, the Star Wars, The Force Awakens. I have Batman v Superman. I have um, um, the Civil War set. I think I might have one more, and I can't remember what it is right now. I'd have to go in the other room and look. But I will definitely be getting this uh, this Star Trek pint glass. Um, anyway, so that's at drafthouse.com slash Star Trek slash San Antonio. Let's go ahead and start the show. In a world filled with movie podcasts, three critics from the juggernaut media market of San Antonio decided to change the entire course of the internet. A feat attempted by many and conquered by many. To produce a relatively listenable podcast, devastating truth bombs. Brace yourselves, guys. The Muppets are puppets. You know that, right? <laughs> no! Wait! Oh, okay. no! They're puppets. Don't ruin it! And <laughs> Muppets are puppets. This is kind of <laughs> Hard facts. Yeah, not Kevin Feige or Feig, whatever, but... I think it's Feige. Is it really? I have no idea. <laughs> Asking the important questions. What is that? What, what was that that I just saw right now? It was like a fat Iron Man. That's, that's a Hulkbuster. Hulk Hulkbuster armor. That's, that's, that's how he fights the Iron Man. <laughs> this is the Cinesnob Podcast. Welcome to episode 82 of the Cinesnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And Kiko won't be joining us today because I think he's asleep. But rest easy, Kiko. We got it's in good hands. When was the last time Kiko was on the show? Was he on last time? I think he was on last time. Oh, we talked about Ninja Turtles last time. Yeah, that's right. And he was driving to Home Depot. <laughs> the uh, one of the uh, series of Kiko driving in a car. Maybe he's driving right now. Maybe he doesn't have a, a good signal. But anyway, uh, Kiko won't be joining us today. It's just me and Cody Bear. How you been this Hi. past? How you been? Been good. Yeah. Been been good. I'm I'm finally working from home now. Oh, so uh, you haven't worn pants in 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 a week? I'm assuming. No, in quite some time. I've I've haven't seen the outdoors or the sun. <laughs> um, I'm I'm growing a a, a rather large beard. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just plan to be a shut-in. Well, um, I uh, spent some time in L.A. last week, week before last. <laughs> went on vacation, uh, went to uh, Disneyland, went to uh, Universal Studios, was on uh, Conan again. I know. Uh, yes, Kiko, you were. Kiko shared that post on. Uh, I did. I, I did love the very first thing Conan says is. He's never seen anything like that before, and literally you <laughs> brought that exact puppet on the show before. <laughs> well, it has been like four years, and the puppet's been on twice before that, uh, actually, because it was on that show that I was on four years ago. And then um, in uh, the Occupy Conan episode that I uh, contributed to, um, it was funny, though, because um, like uh, my girlfriend and I went uh, – we'd, we'd gone to try to see Fuller House – and got shut out of that taping because that taping was enormously popular. So to avoid getting shut out of uh, Conan, we got there super early and uh, got our tickets. And um, less people want to see Conan than they want to see Fuller House just because there's less episodes of Fuller House. And, you know, not a lot of 13. I don't think they allow anybody under 16 into Conan. So all the 12-year-olds have to go to Fuller House. At any rate, so uh, we got the tickets and... Um, Went and had some lunch with a friend of mine that lives out there and came back. That's the deal with Conan. You get the you get your place in line, then you can come back and, and, and actually, you know, 
you, your place is held in line. So uh, when I went back is when I unveiled the puppet and then everybody working for the show got excited and started asking me about it and asking me where we were sitting. And I think they put us, we, they put us in the very front row. So there was no way that Conan wasn't going to see this puppet. And um, everybody from the show was, was quite, you know, like, Hey, give me thumbs up. Like, you know, the band comes out beforehand um, to warm the crowd up. And uh, La Bamba walks over to me and has the puppet, like blow his trumpet, his uh, trombone. Uh, the actual nice. You blew you blew uh, La Bamba's trombone. I blew La Bamba's trombone. Um, and then uh, uh, there's a warm up comedian out. It wasn't. Uh, I, I don't remember the warm up comedian's name. Last time it was um, a guy that I had heard of before, and I can't recall his name. I either. thought it was. I thought it was always Jimmy Pardo. It was okay. Yeah, Jimmy Pardo was there the first time. It wasn't Jimmy Pardo this time. It was somebody else. Okay. Maybe Jimmy. I thought he was like the resident in-house warm-up comedian. I, it wasn't Jimmy Pardo. I don't know who it was. Maybe Jimmy Pardo was on tour or something. Um, anyway, um, so the show's about to start. Um, I'm sitting like right next to uh, the producer's podium. Uh, and Jeff Ross, the producer, comes out and, and, and asks, he says, do me a favor. Just keep the puppet down during the show. I'm like, Okay. So uh, Conan comes out and and the th- the studio is rather small. So we're like, I'm like 10 feet away from him. And he's looking at this puppet and uh, saying those things that like, oh, he's never seen it before. And it doesn't really matter to me. I mean, it's it's just a goofy puppet. Um, and I, I do wonder, though, at, a, at the level like that, where you're making so many different shows a day or so many different shows a week, just how much you forget. Because I mean, I've I've turned out projects that before that I don't remember a single word that I said in them, so I'm not really surprised that he didn't remember a puppet from four years ago. But um, he did come over during the break and and take a picture with me and talk uh, talk about the puppet and shook my hand and stuff. So it was a lot of fun. And then a a security guard after the show like rushed after me and uh, rushed after us and gave me a rundown from the show as a souvenir. So it was cool. That's cool. Yeah. So you didn't. So last time, I remember you telling us the story that they wanted to keep the puppet, and uh, and you tried to get like a, a meet and greet, and then you got turned down. Well, no, not not that. They it was a page that asked me if I wanted to give the puppet to him, and I said, oh, "Well, how would that work?" And she's like, "Well, you can just give it to me, and I'll take it back there." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's okay." Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I I had. I mean, this time I was ready to give it up. I I I kind of just stuffed it in a bag, bringing it back to bringing it back to Austin. But um, I mean, it's it's served its purpose and it's it's been retired now. But uh, yeah, I I never expressed you know actually like hey if you I'll give it to you if you take me back to meet him. I mean it's they they don't give a shit about that. And I mean we he came and shook my hand and took a picture with me, so it was great anyway. But, yeah. But yeah, so um, that was on. Um, Last Tuesday, I believe that would be June sixteenth. I think. What day is it? The twenty sixth. Yeah. So yeah, it was like June sixteenth. I don't remember. Anyway, you can look that up on on uh, on our Facebook page. You can see that at Cinestom Critic. Anyway, um, so we just yeah. went live too. By the way, on Facebook, we went live on Facebook before the show. Um, we'll try to do that a little more. Maybe, hopefully, Facebook soon will allow uh, more than one person to go live. We can tease the show and uh, 
get some questions from people. The only question we got were about my headphones. Was about my headphones. So yeah. But, uh, well, I think once people watch this video and realize what they're missing out on, though, <laughs> talk about our numbers are going to go through the roof. <laughs> uh, speaking of that tease, we talked about um, our screening coming up. Um, if you're hearing this on Sunday night or Monday morning, you can join us Monday evening, June 27th, Alamo Draft House Park North, for a screening of Boogie Nights, uh, the Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson film, uh, the movie that made Mark Wahlberg a star. Uh, the movie that uh, provided Burt Reynolds a brief comeback. Um, the movie where Heather Graham is just hot as hell. Um, yeah, that that really was peak Heather Graham, I think. I think she still looks good. I just think uh, she, she does. She hasn't had a uh, a decent role in a long time. I liked her on Scrubs, weirdly enough. Did you ever watch Scrubs? Very little. She had a like a recurring role on Scrubs for, I don't know, Six or seven, six or seven episodes. Um, yeah, Hollywood just didn't find the right vehicle for her. No, God, she's pushing fifty. Yeah, well, it's been a long time. She was in License to Drive, a movie I, I remember watching in the late '80s with uh, the Corys, with Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. So, and uh, huh. I think her biggest, probably her biggest role was the uh, second Austin Powers movie. Yes. Uh huh. And then. Um, after that, I couldn't. I wish. Actually, wasn't it the? Oh no, it was the second or the second one because the first one was Elizabeth Hurley, right? Yeah. I for a half a second, I just thought she was in Charlie's Angels, but I know that's wrong. Did she? Did she have a uh, one of those like sexualized names in Austin Powers? Mm, yeah, but I don't remember what it was. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up because I forget. I remember uh, uh, Kristen. It was it was Felicity Shagwell. Oh yeah, I, I remember. Uh, What's her name? The actress from Third Rock from the Sun, Kristen um, Johnson, maybe. No clue. Um, anyway, she was. I remember her in the first one. Uh, oh, that was. Oh, okay. I'm looking at the cast. That's Ivana Humpalot. No, uh, uh, no, that was. Uh, someone... That's, it says Kristen Johnston right here. Okay, well, someone else then. Maybe it was. It wasn't her then, but someone else in the first movie was named Alada Fachina. Yes. I'm, so I guess it wasn't Kristen Johnson, but uh, I remember <laughs> there's a lot of vagina. But uh, I remember <laughs> I was working at uh, my first job in TV was with a Fox station, and we were airing Austin Powers, the first film, and they edited the name for TV from a lot of vagina to a lot of clavage. What? <laughs> so, like, a lot of cleavage. <clears throat> but uh I remember that being almost funnier because I knew that <clears throat> man it's these these I'm looking at these Austin Powers names and they're ridiculous but there's one that's actually really funny which um, one uh Basil Exposition Oh yeah 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 just naming that character because that's all that character ever does <laughs> I mean that's funny There was some really clever stuff in the first film I think the second film even too but I think the the character overwhelmed everything. Kind of like Napoleon Dynamite. I just don't find Mike Myers funny. Man, I it, it's because he's been so overexposed, but I love those Wayne's World movies. I love both of those movies. Um and even even the first Austin Powers wasn't a big hit out of the gate. Like it wasn't 
it, that was one of those that <clears throat> that that came to life on video, like re- people renting VHS tapes of it. I remember renting out a bunch of VHS tapes to people back in my Albertsons days. And now mm. he's now I, I hear he's a colossal prick, but really, oh yeah, you've never heard that. No, I hear he's like really difficult to work with. Which... Man, he really had a nosedive when he started doing like the Love Guru and uh, some of those other ones he did. Well, I he he coasted on Shrek for a while, and I think the first Shrek is still pretty solid. I don't remember. Yes, very much so. I don't remember anything after that so much. Um, Man, that you know what was really weird? It was those uh, hearing the Chris Farley recorded dialogue oh, for yeah, Shrek. Yeah. That would have been such a different movie. Yeah. Because it was literally just Chris Farley's like – and it was like – it would have it would have added like this really vulnerable – because the way that he – I mean Chris Farley was very vulnerable in general to begin with. But but he recorded it like that. It would have been really interesting. Yeah. I mean it's one of the – that's probably the, the, uh, the biggest thing for that franchise for me is what was not there. Because it – and we'll talk about this when when Finding Dory uh, when we talk about Finding Dory in a little while. But I think I wonder how much different the DreamWorks brand would have been had it been more on casting people for their acting abilities and their pathos as opposed to just like let's do a funny voice like Mike Myers did with a Scottish. Well, that's accent. the that's the whole argument behind hiring actors as voice actors as opposed to people who do it for the trade and only do voice acting. It's like, you know, you're getting just that big name rather than someone who, you know, is proficient at, at voice acting. Yeah, I mean, it you know, it's it's really difficult to separate the Scottish accent from Shrek at this point. But if it was just, you know, like here's this actor who has this pathos in his voice like Chris Farley does and this vulnerability that you heard in those pencil test things that how much maybe how much different the the DreamWorks brand would have been by now as opposed to just um kind of a sub Pixar thing well yeah cuz you could have added the you know you never i i mean i guess you do in Shrek get a little idea behind Shrek being this nasty thing that nobody wants to be around but Farley could really um, I mean, you could see in those clips that he could really emote that way better than Mike Myers did. There, you know, uh, oddly enough, I remember specifically the first Shrek movie. There are a lot of um, straight-up voice actors in that. Like the main cast is filled out with with big bigger names. I think Jim Cummings does a lot of voices in that film. I remember hearing his voice a lot in that film. Um, and then by the time you get to, I think the last Shrek I saw was the third one. By the time you get to the third one, like even bit parts are played by like, you're like, is that John Krasinski? Like saying two lines is a night, you know, um, they right. just, it was just became one of those things where like, whose voice is that? Oh, I recognize that voice. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to news. It's time for the real rundown recapping this week in movie news. So about this time last week, uh, news broke that uh, Star Trek actor, best known for Star Trek, um, and done some other things like uh, like crazy, <clears throat> Charlie Bartlett, uh, Anton Yelkin, died in a tragic freak accident when his car apparently slipped out of gear and backed into him, crushing him against his mailbox. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. When I read that, I thought it was I mean, that, you know, people say like, you, you know, how these celebrity things get spread 
um, these celebrity deaths death get hoaxes. spread. Yeah, the death hoaxes where it's like someone fell off a cliff while uh, mountain climbing. It, yeah, it happens like once a year with Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah, or uh, you know, even um, um, like Vin Diesel or, or somebody else, somebody that that's like kind of at the, the height of their stardom or whatever. Yeah. Um, and this one, when I when I you see it and you're like, wait a minute, really? Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was real and it was really tragic. And apparently this is, might be related to a recall on certain Jeep vehicles. Yeah. There's, there's apparently, um, it's, it's apparently in those, uh, specific types of Jeeps difficult to tell when a Jeep is in neutral and when it's in park and it doesn't specifically say it. And so what they think probably happened was that he put his, he put his car, he thought he was putting it in park and he really put it in neutral. And, um, you know, they don't, I mean, they obviously don't know why he got out of his car to begin with, but yeah, it ended up, he got pinned between his car and this metal gate on his, on his house. And like, if you go on TMZ, you can see pictures of the metal gate and it's just like bent completely. Um, just a crazy, crazy thing, you know? And like he was 27 and, uh, which is younger than I thought he was. Um, and, uh, you know, like, you know, more word has come out that he was like in three weeks, he was about to shoot his directorial debut and, and, uh, yeah, just a, a really terrible story all around. And I mean, all seemed all around like a guy that was, you know, not, hadn't fallen into like, you know, it wasn't like a drug overdose or anything. I mean, he was, no, he was no, on his way not to at rehearsal. All. Yeah, and like if you read his story, his his parents immigrated here, and you know it's just this this really sad story of a guy who was really well liked. I mean, and and you could tell in his films that he was he he played as you know kind of a sweet character. Although in Green Room, which he was in most recently, oh, yeah. he got to do a little something different. But uh, but yeah, just like a really like vulnerable kind of really uh youthful looking an acting kind of guy. Um, just, just like a, just, a, I mean, I remember reading that and I was at lunch and I was just like, Jesus, this is awful. Yeah. I think it was, it was either Saturday morning or Sunday morning when it broke. It was Sunday. It was a Sunday morning. Yeah. Okay. So it was a week ago today and it was, it was just so bizarre. Um, yeah, because, because at early on it was like, uh, you, you read the story and not a lot of details and it was like, yeah, he was, crushed between his car a mailbox and a gate and 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 it was his own car and they found it in neutral and you're just like what the hell happened here and then of course uh you know news started breaking about the jeep recalls and and now jeep is investigating it and there's a class action lawsuit and you know it's it's just you know uh anytime a anytime an actor dies it's it's sad but the last few deaths have been you know overdoses or you know, it's usually a really tragic, self-induced type of thing, like a drug overdose. But this is like a complete freak accident. Yeah. Um, and it takes the life of a of a twenty seven year old actor, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's horrifying to think about, really. Um, and you know, in in the grand scheme of things, it's it's Star Trek Beyond is not something I've actually had any kind of held out any kind of hopes for. It's been sort of a, um, um seems like a non-event to me just in the marketing and the, the kind of reaction to everything that's been released about it so far. Um, and it, it's kind of strange that that'll be 
turn into a memorial for him, essentially. I think, I, I mean, I don't, I don't see it being, you know, um, since he was, you know, he was a well-known actor. He wasn't really widely known, you know, it wasn't like a Heath Ledger, uh, situation with the dark Knight, you know, where this performance is something that kind of caps his career. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine his character gets a lot to do in this film. Um, no, I, I, I wouldn't think so, but he does have a couple films in the can that, that are still coming out. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it, that is weird to think about, especially and it, it, it casts kind of a new thing on the Star Trek movie where, you know, I think that a lot of people weren't really looking forward to it. Um, you know, there's, there's been some not so great buzz and the trailers are really bad. And, and it, and it is weird that now, you know, it's going to, I mean, that's, it, it, it's, it's really weird how that kind of stuff happens because when an actor like that dies, there's this really weird, um, era about a movie, um, or it gets in an accident or something like that. Like, I'd like, do you remember in, um, when 22 jump street came out, there's a scene where, uh, their their professor does a Tracy Morgan impression. Oh yeah, and uh, and it's it's like it was like a week after he got in that terrible accident, and it just mm-hmm. lands with a thud, and it's really weird. And and then also, um, uh, there was uh need for when Need for Speed came out. Um, it was very very shortly after Paul Walker's death, and um, and it like. It wasn't, you know, Paul Walker has nothing to do with that movie, but it, that was a movie that really glorified street racing and and it had a lot of fiery car crashes and like you could, it was palpable the sense of Paul Walker's death in that movie. And I just wonder what kind of impact that has on on Star Trek, where if everyone's going to be thinking about, you know, this this actor that had his life taken away, you know, at such a young age. Well, see, I I I think that. Um... First of all, I think that this series is done after this movie. Yeah. Because um, friends were asking, just discussing, like, you know, hey, so what happens in the next movie? Do they recast him? Do they kill the character? I'm like, I think this movie series is done, frankly, after this movie. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I think even a bigger thing about Paul Walker's death was hanging over Furious, Furious 7. Yeah, just, you were just waiting for it to happen. Yeah, just because it was... You know, he wasn't done with the movie and his character kind of hangs around as a digital ghost for a lot of the movie. Um, I mean, it's just, it sucks. And, you know, it's weird because probably his death is the most publicity this movie has gotten. Like, yeah. And it, it's it's one of those things that that makes me feel weird about thinking that the movie, like that I really don't want to see the movie. Um. Not that I have any kind of real connection to Anton Yelkin, but you know, as a you know, as a fan or anything, I, I didn't. I, I think his I think basically his more memorable stuff is going to be in the indies that he's done. Right. Um, I you know I wasn't too fond of Like Crazy, but Green Room was pretty entertaining, and yeah, um, and I you know I some of his other movies that he's well known for, I haven't like I haven't seen Charlie Bartlett. Um, uh, or saw, Alpha Dog, which I heard he was good. In. Yeah, I saw I saw Charlie Bartlett. I don't really remember it. I saw, of course, uh, Terminator Salvation. Um, I didn't see Green Room yet, um, but that was that did have a lot of buzz around it, especially when it premiered at Fantastic Fest here. I just never got to see it. Um, yeah, just a real. I, I, it's one of those things. It's like, man, what a 
what a fucking freak accident. <laughs> like it, it's, it just boggles your mind that like, and, and I'm sure crazy stuff like that happens every day, but to, to have it known on such a wide scale, it's like, man, that really is awful. Yeah. Just an awful way to die. Just an awful, pointless way to die. That that's caused by no one. You know, it's just, you know, there's plenty of people that die in stupid situations. You know, Paul Walker driving a, a Porsche or is the riding in a Porsche driving a hundred miles an hour on a city street. You know, it's right. a fucking dumb way to die. Um, overdosing on heroin, Philip Seymour Hoffman style. Um, is, is just a terrible way to die. This is one of those things like, man, the universe just sucks sometimes. Yeah. It's one of those like, well, I can't go outside anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, um, Anton Yelkin dead at 27. Um, yeah, not really anything else to say, I guess. No, on. but you know, but again, you know, go watch his movies and, and, you know, enjoy the performances he gave and, and enjoy whatever he has in the can in the future. I really hope that they find a way to make his movie that he was going to make. Because uh, uh, I think he wrote it too. Um, so hopefully someone makes that or does yeah. something with it. What was the What was the show? Happiness that Philip Seymour Hoffman was doing before he died? Yeah, and they recast it with Steve Coogan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't think it, no one liked it. but No, they hated it. Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, let's move on to our next story. Uh, in the saga, the ongoing saga of the Internet's irrational hatred for the upcoming Ghostbusters film starring all-female cast that no one has actually seen yet, probably yeah. the most legitimate shot was fired this week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. Listen, it has now become rational. <laughs> uh, it is a uh, an update to the theme song uh, called Ghostbusters parentheses i'm not afraid by fallout boy featuring missy elliott which we'll play you a little clip of here You can hear it's definitely a Fallout Boy song. Yes. Um, which you and I were talking before the show, and in 2005, I'll admit I was into Fallout Boy, not in the 13 year old girl sort of way, but um, I think they had some solid songs. I Did actually, you read about them in Tiger Beat? <laughs> I actually worked with a guy that used to be in Fallout Boy, and that is a dead true story. He was hmm. a uh, graphic designer um, at my so, old station. He was he's actually so, on the cover of one of their old albums, but he left the so band. He fell out of Fallout Boy. Yeah. Was there a fallout? <laughs> there was a falling out. Um look, any band that's named after a Simpsons reference, I'm automatically gonna be like, that's I okay, I'll listen to what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Um But you know, after that album, uh Under the Cork Tree it was called, that I actually really was fond of, um, they got into the the sound wasn't the same anyway. Um, and then 
Pete Wentz, who was the bassist, not even the vocalist, became kind of a huge douche celebrity. Um, yes. At any rate. Uh, yeah, so this song sucks. Uh, even Missy Elliott comes in at the end and spits some half-assed rhymes. Um, I would have just preferred a goddamn version with just Missy Elliott. Look, I don't... I'm not being hyperbolic here when I say this. This is one of the worst songs I've ever heard. <laughs> like, like, and I, and I don't mean like... We're, I mean, we're talking like Rebecca Black's Friday where it's like, okay, <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is the worst song that was an honest attempt at writing a song that I've ever heard. It well, is it is so god-awful. Well, it's it's essentially a rearrangement of the Ray Parker Jr. theme. And, you know, a lot of people say that one. Look, I was too young to really understand anything about music other than it was a Ghostbusters song. Um, most people claim it's a ripoff of a Huey Lewis song. Yeah, I um, Want a New Drug. Right. Um, which, I which can... by the way, the best thing they could have done with this was have Huey Lewis do the Ghostbusters thing. <laughs> would like, that imagine have been, how great that would have been. Would that have been any better than having Fall Out Boy do it, like washed up wise? I mean... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I don't understand about it is that the original Ghostbusters theme is iconic, and it's iconic because it's so, like, quintessentially, like, cheesy but in a great way. Like, it's a ridiculous song, but it's fun. It's, like, really fun. There's, like, a really funky element to it. And, it's and, and like, I, I, I think what's really endearing about it is that it sounds dated. And so I think that you know what they did was they essentially stripped all the fun out of that song yeah it's very dark um and they replaced of course uh i'm not afraid is the new kind of hook instead of who are you gonna call no instead of i ain't afraid of no ghosts oh yeah yeah yeah. it's yeah. i'm not afraid and and so like it's it's not only bad musically and and vocally because the guy kind of shoehorns the who you gonna call it sounds terrible but but they take away anything fun that that song had about it. Like it's like it, it, like if you're gonna choose all the people to cover it, why would you choose Fall Out Boy when you could when you could like do something ironic like have Huey Lewis do it or do someone who's who can do it justice like like someone who can make like a funky version of like a modernized version of that song that everyone really likes because it's kind of upbeat and fun and well, catchy. That's why I say Missy Elliott. I don't know what your opinion of Missy Elliott is, but I think I think she's great. I mean, I don't have any I don't have any albums from her, but I think if you're if you're gonna go all in female, you know, and that's gonna be your thing, you, you get a female artist with a unique voice to do it. You know, like Missy Elliott, I think is probably one of the most unique female voices in music right now. You know, if you wanted to, I mean, and she's already on the song, so why why didn't you just have her do the whole thing? Right. I mean, it, it, but but I mean, just stylistically, nobody wants to hear this song as like a mopey rock song. Like right. it's just like it strips all the fun. Like it, it's 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 like because there's a real dissonance between the absurd because they don't really change the lyrics on anything except for the I'm not afraid thing. So it's like it's got you've got the ridiculousness of that original theme lyrically mixed in with a rock song and it just doesn't work on any level like yeah. at all 
it's it's just so so bad. Um, and you know, I joke and say that this is, and we joke to say this is the first shots fired um, regarding uh, people being legitimately worried about this movie. But these fucking songs don't matter, frankly. I mean, this isn't going to be played during the movie. If it is at all, it'll be over the end credits. Um, you know, this isn't like they're not going to stop for a musical interlude in the movie. I sincerely hope. Uh, you know, I this doesn't affect <clears throat> my a preconceived opinion of the movie one way or the other, mostly because I don't have a preconceived opinion of the movie. But this is one of those things that's fuel for the fire for all those people that like the the that dickhead angry video game nerd guy that you know say this is assailing his childhood. Like, look, yeah. the Ghostbusters theme, the original one. Like, I like it because I like Ghostbusters, but probably a pretty shitty song outside of nostalgia well like, yeah but that's but that's why again that's why it's endearing because it's it's kind of shitty like it's it's just a, a goofy ass song yeah uh and and so like it, like it's just i don't understand why you take away all of the fun out of something like that like to me what you what you need to do to update it is to get someone who's going to have fun with it and it's like fallout boy was like putting on their makeup and saying like, how do we make this, you know, really cool and edgy, and it just sucks. I who, I don't know who Fallout Boy's record label is, but this just feels to me like, like some sort of record label synergy. You know, it's like, like yeah. oh hey, you know, they're on Sony Records. We're releasing that soundtrack on Sony Records. Let's get Fallout Boy to do it. Like we don't we don't need the Ghostbusters theme to be a rock anthem. Like we just don't. <laughs> Nobody's nobody asked for that. Yeah, I, I don't like it, but I, I don't hold any ill will toward the movie for it. I mean, because these decisions, frankly, are made outside of the creative team of the film. So, well, I mean, I just I, I that's very true. But when you have a fan base that's already kind of pissed off that this is <laughs> happening, why would you do this? I yeah, I it was a bad PR move, but Sony is not exactly known for their good PR lately. Um, you're right. I think they probably should have kept this one under their hat a little longer <laughs> because not to release it like, here you go, everyone. You should have been like, yeah. yo, yeah, by the way. Yeah, I mean, like the last thing they need right now is adding fuel to the fire, and that's exactly what they did with this song. Um, and so, I mean, like, is it going to affect anything? No, it's not going to affect box office or anything like that, but it does make that <laughs> vocal minority of people louder i think i yeah i mean I, I think it it's like oh this sucks so the movie must suck is one of those conclusions a lot of people can draw fairly easily these days um i yeah i'd kind of forgotten about that that mindset um until i when i went to watch independence day the other night at draft house um i was sitting next to it you know, an older guy, clearly not a, clearly the average moviegoer, you know. Um, and they played a trailer for Swiss Army Man, and uh, which is, which looks interesting as hell to me. I don't know how the movie's going to be, um, but uh, it's a. If you know the trailer, it's a very weird trailer. Um, and his reaction to it afterwards is just nope. That's like the only word he said is nope. Like so, so you got to with the average moviegoer, you got to hit him like 
right in the breadbasket when it comes to stuff that they're going to like or not like. And I think this is one of those things that totally misses the mark. Um, I mean, that's my reaction when I heard it. Like, just nope. Nope. Anyway, uh, you can download it on iTunes right now um, for $1.29, I think. Or just listen to it on Vivo on YouTube. Or you can, or you can take $1.29 and flush it down the toilet directly. <laughs> I wonder – there's got to be some people that just adore it. I wonder I Oh yeah. I closed the window, but I was gonna I wanted to look at the comments, but I'm not gonna search for it again. Um Ghostbusters comes out later in July, right? I don't remember the exact release. I think date. it's July fifteenth. It's yeah, it must be July fifteenth because Star Trek comes out the next week, so yeah. We'll there was a story that it's tracking for forty or fifty million the opening week. That's that's a pretty big opening. Yeah, it is, and it's it's PG thirteen, right? I mean, it has to be, right? Oh yeah, I would I would imagine if it's not PG thirteen, it's PG, but I don't think it's PG. It's probably PG thirteen. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm just gonna drink my ecto cooler and be happy with that. Not listen yeah, to look, up look, Jared. We all know you're not gonna drink your ecto cooler. I have I have a can saved, and I have a can in the fridge ready to go right now. Plus, I have a like a 12-pack or something that I haven't even cracked open yet. It's actually pretty good. It, it's very green. Wasn't that really hard to get a hold of? Did, how did you get a hold of it? Um, well, they had a, an, an initial release date that was like Memorial Day weekend. Like that's when it would become available. And a lot of people took that to mean like it's going to be in stores on this day. And it wasn't. It was only I bought it. My can, my first can, I bought at a movie theater here, a Cinemark, because I wanted to try it. Uh, but then Amazon Pantry sold it, sold it by like twelve packs, and I bought a twelve pack from Amazon. And it's tri- it's still trickling into stores now. Did um, you? Uh, you never got your uh, Crystal Pepsi, did you? The re-release. I bought one um, on eBay because they only oh, gave God. that. A, they. they Shut the fuck up. They only I, 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 you probably paid an absurd amount of money. I think I paid ten dollars to have it sh- total. Okay, shipping. well that's not bad. It was fine. Um, that was one of those things. That's another thing, and, and I've talked about this with some other people that that are fans of old drinks and stuff. Pepsi really fucked up their their pop culture releases last year. Um, because as you may remember, the uh, Pepsi Perfect they were releasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for uh, the Back to the Future Day, like they totally botched that release. Like they said, it was going to be released at a certain time on a certain day, and it was released early, so it sold out by the time people went to check on it. And then um, I-, I think that they have the right idea, like what they do with Surge now. Uh, what is that? I know that was on Amazon exclusively. It, yeah, while. that's what it is. It's exclusively on Amazon, well, uh, and I think it's exclusively only for Prime members. Well, Surge is now trickling into stores as well. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. I didn't um, know that. Look, if you're gonna like, I get the I get the crystal, I get the Pepsi Perfect thing. I don't know why you don't just sell it for a limited time as opposed to selling a limited amount of them. I, I know, yeah, or, it, or just produce it in smaller quantities. I don't know that. Um, Look, it's it's in a special bottle. They required special tooling and, you know, mold making and stuff. But once like that's a sunk cost, you know, once once you've got that produced, why not take pre-orders for it 
for a week, you know, and then sell what you've made or sell or, or make what you've sold. Um, the Pe- Crystal Pepsi one is really strange to me, though, because there was that marketing stuff that they did and they only released it like they only gave it away to certain people that won and then they've never re-released it. Like, and that doesn't even have special bottles. It just has the same Pepsi bottle, but with a different label. I don't understand what the fuck Pepsi's doing is what I'm saying when it comes to this, this like nostalgic pop culture stuff. Like, just make it. Some idiot will buy it, like me. Like, I just want to be able to buy Crystal Pepsi. Is that a big fucking deal? You've already made it. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, you presumably went through the the R&D to, to develop it with modern ingredients. Like, what, what are you waiting for? Because there were rumors it was going to come back in the summertime. But here we are with no Crystal Pepsi. I'm I'm off on a tangent here, so uh, I think I'm going to yeah, wrap this up. Yeah, get off your soapbox, bro. <laughs> I'm really taking it to the PepsiCo, fuckers. Let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have Independence Day Resurgence. Uh, at least your father spared the elephants. Good for him. Look, the Roswell crash in 47, the farmer who made contact drew the same circle. And every time I interview one of my patients and show them this, they all express the same emotion. Fear. And I don't think it's a circle. The night the ship turned on, I experienced the strongest vision I've ever had. And I drew this. That's incredible. How did you decipher so much of their language? They were hunting us. We had to learn how to hunt them. Two decades after the first Independence Day invasion, Earth is again faced with a new extraterrestrial threat. But will mankind's new space defenses be enough? All right, we both saw this one. What would you think of Independence Day resurgence, Cody? Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, What is your opinion of the first movie? Let's let's you get know to what that first. it's been so. I mean, it came out in ninety four, right? Ninety six, ninety six. Okay, so I was seven. So I, I I have not watched that movie since I was a kid. So really? I I honestly can't fairly say. I love that movie, and I watch it whenever I find it on TV. It's it, yeah. I we, we may have talked about this on the show before, but I think it's the perfect nineties blockbuster. I don't think it's the best, but I think it perfectly encapsulates what the 90s was all about when it came to big summer movies. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, and it had, you know, the big scene of, of course, the, the White House being blown up and uh, and all of that stuff. Uh, you know, I, so I, I don't have a lot of reference point from the first one, um, to be honest with you, but this new one is just just so dull and lifeless and boring and, like, the script is terrible. It's written. It feels like it's written by a thirteen-year-old, and <laughs> or someone who's never gotten out of the nineties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels oddly. It's just. It's just so generic. Like it's. 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 Uh, you know, down to like the creatures, which there's really not that much of when it comes to the aliens. There's not a lot of alien stuff. It's a lot of spaceships as opposed to actual aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the storyline. Like there's. You know, they're juggling in the very beginning like five plots and none of them are interesting. Like literally none of them. <laughs> like the Liam Hemsworth stuff with, with 
Will Smith's son is terrible and that like it has no context or no backstory. Um, the uh, the Jeff Gold- Jeff Goldblum's really has nothing to do in this. Um, He's basically on uh, a speakerphone, like phoning his role in. Oh yeah, I mean basically, I mean that's that's all he's doing, and then um, and then uh, you know you've got, I mean, what's the other story? The the guy with the um, glasses. <laughs> Are you talking about uh, Brent Spiner? Yeah. Oh, the Doctor Oaken, who is yes, the, who has a huge role in this movie as opposed to being a. It's Brent Spiner plays the the part of a the kind of the mad scientist at Area Fifty One who was in the first film and appeared to have died. But it uh, turns out he was in a coma for 20 years. Um, I mean, they really kind of plot out every everyone that they could find. Well, I, I think for, from the first one. Yeah. Will Smith, of course, is not back. Um, his character dies, has died in a in a test accident or something. Um, and uh, meanwhile, his son, who I guess is adopted son, because that's not his kid in the first movie. Um, who's um, was who was Vivica Fox's son? Vivica, Fo- Vivica Fox's character in the first film, her son, has grown up uh, to be like the kind of lead. They called him a legacy squadron, like sons of people that were like da- sons and daughters of people that were heroes in the first film. Um, but he's such a blank slate. Played the the actor. I didn't even remember his name. Is Jesse T. Usher, um, who like makes no impression at all. It's not the same actor, of course, from the first film, but, um, Oh yeah. He makes no impression. Yeah. Um, and, and then, um, the, the, uh, third part of the young, of the trio of young people is, uh, how do you say her name? Maka Monroe, Micah Monroe, Micah, um, who plays, um, the president, president Whitmore's daughter, Bill Pullman's daughter, who of course was played by, um, um, Oh God! What is her name from Arrested Development? Uh, maybe Alia Shawkat? No, not her. I'm sorry. The other one, um, uh, George Michael Jr.'s girlfriend. Oh, May Whitman. May Whitman. May Whitman. Yes, that's it. She was the the daughter in the first film, and I think she turned down the role, or didn't want to come back, or they didn't want her back, or something. So, regardless, and Charlotte Gainsborough wasn't in the first one, right? <laughs> no, she was not. Um, so, so the movie checks in with Jeff Goldblum, it checks in with, uh, Brent Spiner, it checks in with Bill Pullman, and then we're introduced to these young people that ostensibly are going to be the new lead characters and no one gives, I could, could not give any less of a shit about those characters at all. (laughs) Yeah, no, they're terrible. And like Liam Hemsworth is just lifeless and then he's got that friend who's the comic relief i guess where it's just like hey just want to bang this chinese girl and that's basically his plot line. oh yeah that the chinese actress is uh is a her parent her name her's her name is angela baby and she's apparently a uh, pop star in china uh, oh so well, it's, of course it's, it's one of those catering to the chinese audience things and i mean she's really doesn't have anything to do she's not bad or anything she just doesn't have anything to do and apparently yeah. the character that plays her dad, the actor that plays her dad, I don't know his name, is also a, a, a Chinese movie star. Or uncle. What is it? Her uncle? The Chinese guy? Oh, yeah, Chinese uncle. Yeah. Whatever, whatever his character's name was. He's in charge of the moon base. Look, the first thing about this movie that, I, that we saw was um, 
that I thought was really interesting, and it would have been a great. It would have been it would have been great if the movie concentrated more on this and treated it less like a big giant wet fart. Was the kind of alternate history aspect of it, because um, the movie begins with them the talking about how the planet has been strengthened after these aliens. So there's this alternate history from 1996 on to where everything's been turned into like hover bikes and hover planes and shit. And there's big space lasers to, to tell these aliens to fuck off. And we've built shields and stuff, which is a cool concept, but the movie totally fucks this up in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Like the, 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 the merging of alien and human technology part. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting concept. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But but as soon as the aliens show up again, they it all of that stuff is for naught. Like it doesn't matter at all. It's just it's the same film as the first one played over again. Well, and then they make like Brett Spiner gay, like with virtually no real payoff. I like I don't I don't, I don't care was, about that. It's fine. I mean, I mean, no, I, it's, it's not bad I think, or anything. But I think. It, well, I mean, I mean, expanding his character. I think of all the characters, I think his one probably has the most depth to it. Weirdly enough, or any depth, any depth at all. I mean, it's not great, but he plays a mad scientist who has a, who apparently is, uh, you know, his his uh, partner is taking care of him for twenty years after he's in a coma, and then the aliens come back or are coming back, and it wakes him up. Um, I just none of it just like like narratively makes any sense. Like it's it's just jumbled garbage. Like well, it just. There's a lot of dead ends, like the the African warlord who we heard in the clip. Who there's interest. There's interesting stuff in this thing that doesn't get any play, like the fact that that this ship, the alien ship, crashed in Africa, and like these aliens didn't die, so these guys had to keep fucking fighting them for ten years. Um, and that's an interesting concept. Like it just wasn't the end of the movie. Like the end of the first movie. Like yay, we won. They like, oh, the war continued because there were still these aliens fighting these guys. But then that guy, the African warlord character, I don't even know what his name is because it doesn't even matter. Dikembe something. But they like they they he's totally from a nineties movie, like just transplanted. Like he does nothing except be a like a sort of badass and like yeah. fight with the Nebishi accountant character who's there for what reason I don't know. Oh god. Um you know, and he's got swords and he can fight the aliens and it's – it could have been cool, but it, it he doesn't get anything to do. All of a sudden, he's, well, and, he just hitches a ride to the moon. Yeah. And then by the time they like – they wheel out Judd Hirsch, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that that's another storyline that doesn't get any play. Like uh, Joey King, who uh, I think I saw last in um, Wish I Was Here. Yes. Um, uh-huh plays i guess uh a teenage girl with her brothers and sisters like that survived and her parents died and they run across judd hirsch whose boat washed ashore in the attack um which and it's terribly rendered scene by the way there are there one of the my biggest fucking problems with special effects movies is not bad cgi it's not bad effects uh practical effects or anything like that it's when they can't get the fucking compositing right and that's when, right. And like, by that you mean layer, you know, blending the the green screen with the act, the human actor, right? And this is terrible most of the time, terrible, 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 terrible. Like the scene where the president, uh, Celia Ward, who gets nothing to do, also, 
is addressing like the assembled masses for the anniversary of the attack. It looks awful because she's clearly in front of a blue screen or a green screen, one of the two, and it just looks like shit half the time. Um, and this is a huge movie. Uh, it's in, in 2016 where that stuff, where that stuff is so commonplace that they do it and you don't even know. Uh, you know, TV shows do it. They expand crowd scenes and, and put actors in locales they're not even at. And this looked like garbage. And and it steals a couple of, of beats almost totally, almost exactly from San Andreas. Did you notice that? Uh, yeah. The, yeah, The totally. scene where, uh, where after the attack, um, Will Smith's son, whatever the fuck his name is, goes to rescue his mom who's a nurse at a hospital. Vivica Fox has like three lines in the film and Mm -hmm. he goes to rescue his mom and she's on top of a hospital rescuing people. And then it crumbles beneath her and she dies, which is the only difference between that and San Andreas is that the rock was able to save his wife was able to save Carla Gugino as opposed to watching her die. And then Speaking the- of, <laughs> I, I don't know if this bothers you as much as it does me, and this is just a little aside, but but in movies when they, they clearly use like production stills as pictures, oh so yes, like the, like the picture of Will Smith, there's like a painting of Will Smith inside the White House, and it's very clearly a production still or like a promo material <laughs> for the first movie, and it's just like, come on, or the film. Um- or when the film opens, like the film opens, you're flooding through space and the president's speech from the first movie yeah. is like being transmitted to uh, uh, by video to the aliens. Like, no, the plot point in the first movie was they didn't have the video, so it was over only, only over radio. Like, you clearly just took a clip of Bill Pullman from the movie doing that speech. Yeah, that bothers me a lot, too. Or when they, like, it couldn't, they couldn't possibly have that camera angle. Um. Anyway, yes, that's that has nothing to do with anything, but it just speaks to the cheapness of the whole thing and just kind of the half acidness of the whole thing, um, starting with the script, because I think it doesn't make any sense. Um, stuff is rushed through. There's too many characters. I think it it only mildly comes alive um, at the very in the climax, which, you know, we'll go ahead and spoil because fuck this movie. But uh, when the alien queen comes out of the ship and is trotting across the desert. Yeah. I think that's actually a, a really effective scene. And I think that's when it kind of that's that's one of the most interesting parts of the movie to me because it it actually was something different. You know, here's this alien like this giant alien running across the desert looking to fuck shit up. Um, but everything else is just not good. And I I went into this thing with with no expectations like no, either good or bad because I, I have such a fondness for the first film and I was so bored by this movie. It feels, yeah, it it feels super long, even though it's less than two hours long. It's Um, really, really boring. Um, (laughs) and, and like nothing happens for the first half hour. So I was, I went with a couple friends and, uh, just really laughing at immature stuff the whole time, frankly, (laughs) like all the, all the, all the mentions of docking I laughed at out loud. (laughs) And then all, all the mentions of you have to get them from behind. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's there's a lot of stuff in this film that could have been good, like 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 I, like we talked about the future tech stuff, like the alternate history stuff, 
Um, you know, if, if, if all of this stuff had meant anything, like if we were actually able to put up a fight against the aliens, but we weren't. And then the less said about the fucking, uh, Doex Machina, the better of that fucking friendly space ball thing. The Death Star clone thing? The, the, yeah, that ball. The, the, was just <laughs> the talking the, space ball. The talking space ball. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> that ends with, like, let's go have a sequel. Like, what? Oh, man. I just, I was, I really hated this movie. And I, God, really... I forgot about the talking space ball. That was so awful. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, the, the, uh, that talked in that, like, little kid voice or something or like little girl voice. Yeah. Just, just bad. Just bad. What's your grade for this? Like a D plus probably. I think I'm right there with you. I think a D plus. I think it, it only, it only gets a, a non D grade because, or it only gets the plus because of the, the ideas that I can see were there that had me mildly interested. But yeah, D plus is, is pretty good for this film. All right, let's move on to our next movie, Finding Dory. My family! I remember my family! They're out there somewhere. I have to find them. Guys, you gotta help me. Guys, guys, hello? Guys, where are you? Hello? Dory! Oh, where did you go? You were the one to go. My parents. I remembered them. Wait, what did you remember? I remembered them. My mom, my dad. I have a family. They don't know where I am. Let's go. Dory, we have to go. No, no, this is crazy. Where exactly are you trying to go? To the to the gym of the uh, Baltic. The Jewel of Morro Bay, California. Yes. No, Dory, California's all the way across the ocean. Then we better get going. How come every time we're on the edge of this reef, one of us is trying to leave? For once, can't we just enjoy the view? How can you be talking about the view when I remembered my family? No, no, we've done our ocean travels. That part of our lives is over. The only reason to travel the friendly but forgetful blue tangfish Dory reunites with her loved ones, and everyone learns a few things about the real meaning of family along the way. Now, I know you loved this movie, so yes. So tell us, uh, tell us about uh, Finding Dory, Cody. Well, I, I actually like Finding Nemo a lot better than most people. I mean, I, I was well received, and people like the movie a lot. But I think a lot of people think it's kind of slight Pixar. Um, and, and frankly, uh, I think Pixar has been a little bit, you know, they were in a creative rut for a little while before Inside Out came out and kind of brought them back a bit. Um, but even that was like a really heady concept for a children's movie, I think. Um, and I think it maybe didn't work on, on quite the level that, um, that a lot of other people thought it did. And so Finding Dory is kind of, a just like a regular old fashioned f- f- sweet funny animated film that's got no hidden message really it's got no political themes to it it's just a, a good animated movie and i had a lot of fun with it um i think that and we were talking about this um uh earlier in the week i think that from beginning to end it may be like the funniest pixar movie from front to back yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's it's probably the the most comedic. I think it's um <clears throat> it doesn't trade in the maudlin so much as like Inside Out does, which is that um you know, it it dabbles in that in the past because it has a lot of flashbacks that are kind of sad. 
But, but uh, by the way, extremely effective. Yeah, I was. T- we were talking about that too, and I I wanted to get mad at the cloying like calculated adorableness of the flashbacks, but because they were so effective, I, I looked past all that. But I mean, you've seen the clips, I'm sure, uh, our listeners, if you haven't seen the movie of the baby Dory. And I mean, yeah. it's like the cutest fit little baby fish with the cutest baby voice. And you're like, you son of a bitch, Pixar, you got me again. Yeah. Um, and, and those scenes are really heartbreaking. And, and it's, it's, they're done in a way where it's not, it's not, it doesn't feel like uh, manipulative. I mean, it is, well, of course. Eh, but, I, I don't know that it doesn't feel manipulative, but I think it, it at least, unlike something like Inside Out, it doesn't set up a future where you're going to be sad. It, it shows a past that was sad and is getting better. Right. Uh, um, and I think that in, another thing we talked about um, earlier in the week was that almost every bit of character stuff is great. Like uh, like the, the, the interaction between Dory and, and then uh, Marlon and, and Nemo is, is great. Um, my personal favorite is the is the is a couple new characters. Well, three new characters really. First of all, Ed O'Neill's octopus character or Septopus, I guess, in the in the film. Yeah. Um, Ed O'Neill's great. Does great voice work, great uh, character work in it. That's a really good character with a really good arc um, and really well done. Um, comedic wise, I love the addition of uh, Ty Burrell as the whale, and then I think it's Caitlin Olson as the whale shark. Um, one of them is, is, uh, has, uh, like spread apart eyes and can't see well. <laughs> and then Ty Burrell's character has his echolocation, uh, not working after a head injury. And there's just a lot of really, really funny lines, um, between them that, that I think everything with Ty Burrell's character is gold. Um, and then there's also the, uh, the really funny meta Sigourney Weaver running gag yeah, yeah. that pays off every time. Um, it's hilarious every time, uh, and then you and I were kind of t- talking about again. Uh, there's this, there's this really like thirty second scene with this giant, uh, with this giant oyster um, or clam or whatever it is. Yeah, where it's just a very lonely clam, and it's, uh, it's just it, like there's just a lot of really funny cutaway gags or, or throwaway gags that that just really hit. And like I said, I think the most consistently funny Pixar movie. Um, that that there is. I mean, uh, obviously the Toy Story movies are very funny, but um, I think this one goes for humor, um, and and everything hits at a, at a pretty good rate. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I, I think where it suffers for me is um, getting a little too far into the the kind of DreamWorks ish shenanigans. Um, yeah, with uh, you know what exactly happens because because look the the first. The first, uh, the first film I liked. I don't really recall loving it. Um, it's a little too sweet, um, and and you know it, it's it's really about kind of loss and and not loss, but you know being a parent. I think and and potentially losing your children. Um, but this one, it's 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 positive from the get go. You know, you never think that Dory's not going to find her parents. Uh, so all the sadness is in the past, but then like the, the mechanisms to move the plot along are a little too much, uh, along the lines of, of cartoony stuff that like, cause look, they're in Australia, right? That's, the, yeah. that's where they are. Cause I remember the, the, the first film took place in like Sydney Harbor. Um, mm-hmm. so 
they're like, oh, we need to get to California. So they just ride a rip current across the ocean in, you know, 10 minutes or whatever it is, screen, you know, two minutes of screen time. Uh, and then they're able to hop from tank to tank. Um, just the mobility of the fish in this movie is a little too, a little too cartoony for my taste. Uh, I mean, it's, it's fantastical for sure. Um, but again, I, it never bothered me because I think that, you know, you're suspending disbelief in an animated movie, no matter it doesn't what. Bo- I mean, it doesn't bother you. The, the climax doesn't bother you. Suspending the, cli- disbelief the climax is a little, okay. The climax is a little ridiculous, obviously, okay. but, but, but it, it didn't bother me, honestly. I, cause I was along for the ride. I don't want to uh, say that it bothers me, but when I, when I, when I think about it and look, Pixar's made their own bed when it comes to thinking about their films as a higher level of art than any other animated film. Yeah, that's um, true. So when I think about it in terms of that, it's a little disappointing that the, that the mechanics of it got to the, be um, got to be, you know, a little out of the realm of, of, of believable for talking fish movies, but I guess I, is the word I'm trying it, to say. Yeah. And that's true. But I think it, I think that it, it's effect. I, I think it's effective and I think it works because like there's a, there's a scene in the climax where uh, it, it, there's a slow motion scene, I guess, with a with a popular song that's played, which yeah. I think is a beautiful scene. I love that scene. No, I mean, I, I think it's it's well done. Um, I just think that because of it, and because of kind of the reverse engineering of the of the patented Pixar sadness plot, I, I think it feels a little um, a little less like a, a uh, an, an an essential movie and more like a victory lap with the characters. Well, um, and, and see, I think that's why I enjoyed it because again, you know, Pixar, you know, for better or worse takes big swings. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they miss, sometimes they whiff. Um, and you can see that with something like brave, which was a big swing that, that ultimately didn't work inside out is a huge swing and it works on varying levels. Um, this, while maybe safe, I think is a refreshing, like, uh, back to basics kind of thing for Pixar. And and like I said, sometimes you just need a good animated film that's not trying to do too much. You know, it's not trying to make a statement about global warming or even Zootopia from earlier this year, which is kind of a, um, a parable for race relations in the country. Um you know that's that's fine, and, and I like that a lot of the time, and I think it's smart. But sometimes you just want a back to basic, sweet, funny movie. I think. Well, I get it, and it feels a little, um, a little theme parky. I guess I, maybe it doesn't help that I was just freshly at Disneyland, but it feels, it feels like a safe attraction to me. You know, I mean, and it's fine, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but and and you you like the character stuff as much as I did, right? Oh yeah, no, I, I think it's. I mean, it's it's a great time. Frankly, it's it's well it's it's time well spent. Um, I don't think there's any duds in it. There's no there's no Pixar level. I mean, uh, no DreamWorks level stuff where you're just like, oh, they wanted to get uh, whoever the new pop star is in this movie, right? Or but, but even like the the smaller stuff, like the everything with Becky the 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 bird, right? That bird's fucking great. Um, yeah, but I I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, like you said, it feels a little safe. Like there's never there's, it feels like a, a little like it might have been better served as maybe direct to video. I don't know if that's even still a thing. 
um, just because there's not a lot of new ground covered here. You know, it's it's kind of like I said, the sadness in the film is in the past, which for better or worse is Pixar's brand. You know, kind of that tugging at the heartstrings emotionally, like more so than anything else, uh, more so than any other animation house in the in the business. Um, but all that stuff is in the past. You know, all the the sadness with Dory is stuff that's done, mm-hmm. and you by the end of the film, you never you're never once in doubt that there's going to be a positive outcome. You know, there's yeah, never. But I think. I I agree. I agree with that sentiment, but I also think that it's executed in a way that um, that makes that emotional stuff er feel earned. No, Um, I'm not saying it's I don't say it's unearned, but I just think feel it doesn't it doesn't have the essentialness to it. Um, It doesn't feel like it has a message other than let's have fun with these characters again, which is totally fine, which is totally fine, because I think it perfectly it perfectly executes that, but Pixar is for better or worse has, has staked their claim on that. Like we're making animated films that make you think and make you feel. Um, and they don't always pull that off. Like with some bullshit like cars too. Uh, and sometimes they go too far afield in that and something like Wally, where the charmingness gets lost in the charm gets lost in kind of the bigger social commentary. Um, but but yeah, I mean it's it's perfectly it's perfectly fun and it's perfectly fine and it's it's there are way worse ways to to spend an hour and a half you know other than catching up with characters that you love and that are well done and and new characters that are you know from Disney owned properties already but still or actors I guess everybody's from Modern Family pretty much except for Caitlin Olson right yeah <laughs> it's like oh, Ty Burrell and Ed O'Neill come on like just come over to this side of the Disney lot to record these characters. But anyway, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I wish it were maybe a little more meaningful, but it's not a, it's not, that's by no means a knock on the film at all. I don't want to portray that I'm criticizing the film. Yeah. I just wish that it were, wish there were more. What's your uh, grade? So for me, um, I, I mean, I personally think that this is the best Pixar movie since Toy Story 3. Um, and so I give it a B plus. I'm a, I'm going to B. I think it's, I, I would agree with you. It's probably the, the man. I don't know. I mean, inside out is good. I, I didn't, I wasn't as fond of it as everybody else seems to be, but yeah, I think it's probably the, the most fun I've had at a Pixar movie since toy story three. And I love toy story three. That's going to do it for this show. What do we got next week? Well, um, we have, uh, the BFG. Oh yeah, that we've the, got like uh, Spielberg. We've got like three things screening on one night here. Yeah, because I think the the Purge and BFG are screening here on the same night, and then Mike and Dave need wedding dates, but that's not till the following week. Um, and then uh, I'm not sure if it opens, but I know Swiss Army Man is screening here. Yeah. Uh, on Monday night. Yeah, same here. Um, and then they're not screening The Legend of Tarzan, which frankly. We're getting a Legend of Tarzan screening, but it's also on the same night as BFG and um, The Purge. I don't – I don't – I'm not excited about the BFG. I mean I, I know that it's Spielberg um, and, uh, and, and, I, and I'm always going to give Spielberg a, a fair shake, but um, nothing I'm, about it. I'm not sold on the motion capture look at all of this film. It doesn't, it doesn't scream – it screams cartoon to me. 
I don't like it. But yeah. So I don't know what we'll, what we'll have seen um, for sure by next week, but we'll have a few things. And then, you know, as we inch closer and closer to um, the real summer stuff that starts with, you know, Ghostbusters and Star Trek and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm seeing the uh, – I'm, I'm taking the, the night off from, from film screenings, preview screenings and seeing the uh, Rift Tracks Live Mystery Science Theater 3000 reunion. Um, oh, yeah. From our friends at Fathom Events. Um, that is on Tuesday night. You can get your tickets at rifttracks.com slash live. Um, something I'm really excited for. Uh, I bought my shirt that uh, Rift Tracks is selling for it with all the, uh, with all the names on it. With Mike and Bill and Kevin and Bridget and Mary Jo and even Jonah Ray is on there. By the way, have you – uh, What are they doing? They're uh, just riffing a bunch of shorts uh, with oh, okay. the, whole, the whole gang. Um, I, I don't know exactly what they're riffing. I don't know that they've released the names yet. But um, yeah, I don't know if you've uh, – are you a fan of Jonah Ray? Um, I really like the Meltdown TV show. Yeah. Um, you, but that's – I mean I'm not a huge nerdist listener, so I don't have a lot of exposure to him. You haven't dived into uh, CISO at all, have you? No, I have not. He's got a great show on there. Um, it's a it's a kind of a, a travel mockumentary called uh, Hidden America with Jonah Ray um, that I recommend you watch if you get the chance. I think you can get a free trial of CISO, but it's kind of a uh, a parody of um, those behind the scenes travel. I mean those show those travel shows um, where they go around America searching for facts about places. And I, I watched the first episode actually last night. It's about Boston, and he goes to find out. Um, uh, he finds he has a relative that was part of a Plymouth Rock, and and took place in the took part in the Salem witch trials, and that he just kept burning witches after um, after the uh, the witch trials were over. He just start, kept burning women. It's really funny. The, the joke is funnier than I'm giving you credit for right here by retelling <laughs> it. Sounds, it like a, sounds like a gas. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I'll be there. Uh, if you want to go, you can get your tickets at rifttracks.com slash live. Um, I'm actually seeing it at Alamo Draft House for the first time, which I'm excited about. Um, okay. I didn't know that Alamo Draft House did those. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's sparingly. I'm not sure um, what yeah, – I think it depends on the actual event as in, you know, how they line up because they have more special events than, than the, your average theater so. Uh, anyway, anything else you want to plug? Uh, no. Uh, you, um, if you go to our Facebook, uh, Facebook live thing, um, I tease and give, uh, out what our July screening will be at draft house. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and it should be a gooden, a gooden, gooden, gooden pudding. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right on bro. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, that's going to do it for us. If you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can call us at 920-FILM-210. You can, uh, that's 920-3456-210. You can find us on Twitter at Cinesnob, Facebook, Cinesnob Critic. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Um, probably um, on Facebook Live a little bit more. Once that uh, gets ironed out, we can do two people at once instead of just listening to Cody's voice. As sexy as it is. Yeah. Uh, hey guys, I went live from Disneyland the other night when we were on the cars. You also went live from Burger King. I went live from Burger King eating the uh, mac and Cheetos. I forgot about that. That was um, a good time. 
I'm I'm all for trying weird fast food. And uh, how, how was it? It was fine. It was good. Um, it doesn't taste much like Cheetos. It just tastes more like a kind of like a mozzarella stick, but filled with mac and cheese. It really needed I mean, a dipping. That doesn't sound bad. It does. It does. It's good. It it really needs a dipping sauce though. Um. It 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 could have used some ranch or maybe some marinara. Something to something to moisten it up. I mean, the, the mac and cheese is pretty moist, but something to, to to enhance the flavor a little bit. But I might go get some again today. I get, I don't know where the closest Burger King is, but I might go get some mac and Cheetos now that now that we're talking about it. Anyway, we're uh, hopefully going to get uh, mac and Cheetos as a, the official food of Cinesnob.net. <laughs> if it isn't already it's, like unofficial, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the um, the black burger they did? I tried that too, the black whopper. Oh yeah, with the black bun and everything. Yeah, that made everyone's yeah. poop green. Mm-hmm. Oh, did it? Oh yeah, that was a big deal because of the food coloring that's in it. it uh, I think that the the craziest thing that uh that that is is kind of the fast food thing is is what Pizza Hut is doing in like other countries with the crust. Oh. Uh... I, I haven't seen any of the Pizza Hut stuff. I know that that like Japanese Burger King Burger Kings had the black bun, and they also had black cheese. No, why? <laughs> I don't know. It looked that made it look extra gross. Yeah, it was, it's like a little slick of oil there on top. Well, Pizza Hut did the uh, did the hot dog crust that was a not did, did, didn't they do that in America and it just like everyone was like what? I think they did. I don't remember the circumstances behind it though. I haven't ordered pizza from pizza hut in a while i've been cutting pizza out of my diet but i'm 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 always down for a good just a regular old stuffed crust pizza from pizza hut oh yeah that's uh a classic an all-time classic that used to be advertised by david robinson and dennis rodman yep eating your eating the pizza backwards yep oh man then they brought which i mean like why why would you do that they brought back uh robinson a few years ago remember that they did the 20th yeah, and now he, he's also in that commercial now um, with Latrell Sprewell. Yeah, yeah, man, that's a great commercial. Yeah, Latrell Sprewell's like in a diner, just like making fun of himself. Yeah, that's a great. That is a great commercial. When I saw that commercial for the first time, I said, "Is that Latrell Sprewell?" Oh, he looks terrible. He's all puffed out, and I mean, I'm sure he's still a millionaire, but well, and then David Robinson, like he's got a receding hairline, and that's about it. Yeah, that's that's the only sign. Well, he's gotten a little puffier in the last few years, but forever that was the only way to tell how old he was. Was his receding hairline? Yeah, but even then, that doesn't mean anything because LeBron's hairline is pretty bad too. Oh yeah, how'd you, how'd you feel about the Cavs winning the championship? We didn't talk about it since then. God, I had such mixed feelings on it because I, on one hand, I think that the idea that LeBron came back to Cleveland to try to get a championship is a, is an, is a decent story, but he's also insufferable in my opinion. So, I mean, he was amazing in that. I remember I was watching, uh, watching that game seven. And when he made the, when he, uh, made that block, block. I almost jumped out of my couch. Yeah, me too. I was, I was watching that and I was like, I said, Oh, fuck you. That's my standard response to a block. Yeah. Yeah. That was an amazing block. Um, yeah, I'm not a big LeBron fan, but I was happy for the city of Cleveland. And the only thing it bothers me about is that it, I have a few friends that are Chicago natives or Chicago yeah. Bulls fans. 
the only thing that bothers me about it now is it it it's it reignites that fire like oh the bulls 95 96 bulls are still the best ever didn't win the championship with golden state as if the nba is the exact same as it was 20 years ago um still golden state lost as many games in the playoffs as they lost the whole year which yeah is really well telling. and 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 also it's uh, I mean, I have family family from Cleveland, so it's kind of cool for them who haven't had a championship in fifty years or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that part of the reason was that Steph Curry was just not very good. Yeah, in the finals, dude. There at Disneyland, there were so many people wearing Golden State shirts. Oh, really? And I was like, you fucking bandwagon motherfuckers. I also screamed at my TV when he tried to do that behind the back pass with like a minute left in game seven of the finals where it just went straight out of bounds, which they made it a a hilarious gif of that, of of him, of the behind the back pass. And they replaced it with the Larry O'Brien trophy. I also saw there's another one of that somebody did with the with the uh, the block, too. Oh really? It's LeBron like blocking the Larry O'Brien trophy, which I guess That's doesn't hilarious. doesn't make quite as much sense. But um Yeah, the the one with the thing he's like literally behind the back passing the Larry O'Brien trophy out like out of bounds. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. And it's to, brutal, but it's funny. I need to find that one. I had um yeah, it was it was one of those things I was at Disneyland like you can, there can't possibly be this many Golden State fans that are long-term Golden State fans. Like they weren't. Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 I, there's something inherently funny about Cleveland fans burning LeBron's jerseys in the street and now, you know, em- embracing him again. I mean, that's just just a. I mean, that's the. I mean, it doesn't get any bandwagoner than that. Well, th- that I th- I don't think so though. I think it's different because, like, that was a stab in the back to the team, like. I mean, and let's face it, that thing was done – the PR on that thing was horrible, you know, to, to announce on ESPN Live that you're leaving Cleveland. In a one-hour special. In a one-hour yeah. special, yeah. That was, the, that was really poorly done. So I can see the longtime fans getting that. But then, you know, when he comes back and instantly makes you a contender again, then I'm okay with it. It's, but, but, I mean, I just – it's not – it's just not a, the feel-good story that we were all – led to believe narratively because then you have to think back about when they fired Dave Blatt. Yeah. Uh, who, who had like, they were first place by a long shot in the East. And because LeBron didn't like Dave Blatt, they fired him and, and, and hired Teron Lou. Who's and, like a year older than I am. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it's just like, that's, that's not a good story. I mean, like yeah. Dave, poor Dave Blatt was doing fine. He was doing great. Well, and, it's like these Golden State people, the people wearing the Golden State shirts, though, like you weren't a fucking fan. Like you don't have a Gilbert Arenas Golden State jersey. Like you weren't you don't you weren't here for the Don Nelson days. Fuck you. Anyway, that's my rant on that. Yeah. Back when the Warriors were like Steven Jackson and Jason Richardson and and they beat uh, Dallas. They beat Dallas. Yeah. I remember that's that. the eight seed. Yeah. Or when like like basically Washington brought in their whole front line, like Gilbert Arenas was like a star on that mediocre team out there. Who won the title? Did the Spurs didn't win the title that year that the eight beat the one, right? Uh, I don't remember what year that was. Cause I feel, I feel like I remember thinking, Oh man, the path is cleared. And then I, I don't think that they ended up. 
Is that the year that we lost to Phoenix? Uh, uh no. I don't think so. That was uh, that, when was that? I want to say that might have been when like the Celtics won. Oh, this was two. This was this year the Spurs won. It was 2006, oh, okay, so 2007. It, yeah. Okay, so it did clear the path for the Spurs to win. I, I yeah. Yeah, and the, who was on that team was um. Uh, it, it was Stephen Jack. Oh, the Spurs team or the Warriors? No, the Warriors team was Al Harrington, Stephen Jackson, Mike Dunleavy, yeah, J- Jason Richardson, Baron Davis. Oh, yeah. that's when Baron Davis went like crazy hot in that series. Yeah, played that for, was peak play, Baron Davis. Played for played for a new contract and then got it, and no one cared. Or he, yep, he, he fucked up. Yep. Yeah, b- b- that was Baron Davis was in God mode that entire series. Yeah, I remember that. Anyway. Oh man, that was fun because I because like so my I have an uncle who is uh, who's really into sports jerseys and like buys me random jer- or like used to buy me random jerseys when I was a kid and for whatever reason he bought me a Jason Richard uh, yeah a Jason Richardson throwback Golden State like the yellow ones that they wear uh-huh. and I remember that entire series I was wearing that jersey during the games because I was so because going into that series i don't know if you remember but everyone was like golden state is going to upset dallas because it was a terrible matchup for dallas and people expected it that it could happen like it wasn't out of the blue people were like this is a terrible matchup it's sort of like when uh the spurs matched up against memphis when when memphis nipped them when the spurs were the one yeah and memphis was the eight people were like not a good matchup this is not good for the spurs um same kind of thing happened. And that was the year – that was coming off uh, being in the finals for Dallas when they lost to um, the Heat. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a major disappointment. Do you think Do you think uh, Dirk is leaving Dallas? No. No way. He's washed up. I do find this Spurs getting a meeting with Kevin Durant thing very interesting though. Like I don't think that they'll sign him, but I find it interesting that – that they're doing it and bringing like Parker and I'm, I'm sorry, Duncan and pop. And, you know, pop was the one who got Aldridge. So I don't know. He's, he's a, he's a player's coach, man. Anyway. All right. Let's wrap this up. What do you say? Uh, on that note, I am Jerry Kingery and I'm Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob podcast to read reviews, interviews, and more visit CineSnob.net. See you next week.